Welcome to Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast presented by AKG. I am your host, Natalie Morrison. Just as one revoices a chord, Revoicing the Future creates a completely new perspective on the invaluable notes that make up the whole. It will uplift women's voices in the music products industry, which have earned their time to be the root of the chord. Once a month, you can catch productive and valuable conversations with women working in manufacturing, retail, the nonprofit sector, music education, touring, and overall women who inspire us. So without further ado, let's get started. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Revoicing the Future. I'm your host, Natalie Morrison. Thank you for tuning in. As always, it is May, which means the 2022 NAMM show is just around the corner. And I have some exciting things that I wanted to plug in case you happen to be there, which I hope you are um, in the next few weeks or so. The first event that I wanted to let you all know about is on Friday, June 3rd from 6 to 7 p.m. Women of NAM will be hosting a reception at the Weston Rooftop Pool. Come on to the rooftop. It's going to be a beautiful spring summer night in California. Come network and mingle and everyone and anyone is invited. We are just really excited to talk about the things that Women of NAM has been working on and we just want to get to know all of you and see you all in person for the first time probably in a long time for a lot of us. So that's the first event. The second event is that on Saturday, June 4th at 11 a.m. Pacific at the Harmon Truck in the Convention Center, Revoicing the Future is going to be hosting a live episode of the podcast. Woo! I am not going to tell you who the guests are because that's just going to ruin the surprise. And I want to entice each and every one of you to tune in and see it for yourself. But I can promise you that it's going to be epic. And I am so, so excited. I believe it is also going to be live streamed onto NAM Plus. So for my East Coast friends and fam and whoever's listening, um, if you are on the East Coast, it'll be at 2 p.m. Eastern time, 11 a.m. Pacific. Um, And if you can't catch it on any of the two things that I just pointed out, we will have the recorded version up on the normal streaming channels. So wherever you typically get your revoicing the future content, the episode will be up there after the show. And by after the show, I mean after the NAM show closes for the weekend. So that's very exciting. So you definitely don't want to miss that. And I will probably gush all about it when you see me on stage on that day. So be sure to follow Women of NAM on social media and sign up for the newsletter so that you can stay up to date on all the events and things that are happening at the NAM show, just with dates and times and whatnot. So all the information will be there. So be sure to subscribe, check it out. You know the drill. Finally, I wanted to give a big shout out to our friends at the Women's International Music Network and Laura Whitmore. They are hosting the 10th anniversary of the She Rocks Awards on Thursday, June 2nd. I'm like going back days and flipping. Yeah. So Thursday, June 2nd in the evening is the She Rocks Awards. So if you want to go check out how to participate, how to buy tickets and just go and see a really, really fun, exciting show, please visit their website at 
thewomen.com. That is the W-I-M-N.com. And you can get all the information that you are looking for there. And personally, I love the She Rocks Awards. I've been going since 2015 and um, they always put on an incredible show and they're honoring some extraordinary women this year. So you definitely don't want to miss that. So yeah, that's about it on the NAM updates. Um, I'm excited and hope to see you all there. So before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to give a big quick shout out to our sponsor AKG and a big thank you to Becky Barabas for making this possible. She and AKG have provided Revoicing the Future some microphones and headphones that we can send back and forth to our guests um, who are on the podcast. So I have created these awesome, what I'm calling audio kits, where um, every guest will get a box in the mail with a microphone and a set of headphones and a little letter from my little podcast team on how to set things up. And it's really awesome and cute. And we're just like really, really grateful. So big thank you, big, big thank you to AKG. And in case you were wondering, the products that are in the audio kits are the brand new AKG Aura, which is a USB microphone. So you can plug it in and go. It's great. It's compact. It's a little bit smaller than the Lyra that I'm using. Um, I love these microphones. They're fantastic. And then we are also providing guests with the K371 headphones. They are awesome professional studio headphones um, that anyone can use in the creative space. So again, thank you, AKG. And the reason also that I wanted to bring this up is because our guest today, Ms. Lana Negretti, woo! she is actually using the very first audio kit. So um, we're really excited for that to come to fruition. Anyway, I want to introduce Lana because she is the vice president of Santa Monica Music Center, Culver City Music Center, and the founder and executive director of Outreach Through the Arts. She is Superwoman. I don't know what else to say except that she's literally superwoman and awesome. And I'm totally in awe on how she manages to do all the fun, different, incredible projects that she's working on and just how much she loves her community and wants to give back to it. Um, You can also find her on the city council, which is really awesome. So I don't want to give away too much from the episode, but we dive into a lot of awesome topics and I think you're all going to love it. So with that said, I want you to sit back, relax, enjoy the episode. Thank you, AKG. And I hope to see you all at the NAMM show. See you later. Hi, Lana. Thank you so much for joining Revoicing the Future. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on it. So as we always do, let's start with your background and your journey into the music products industry and um, all the other fun projects you do on the side. (laughs) Okay, so this is episode 31, I see. That'll take us into episode 34. I don't think you'll have enough. It'll be a series. Um, let's see. I'm going to, I'll do a speed through how I got here because um, people often wonder if I'm 110 years old, given all the things I've done in terms of work uh, before I got here. I started working really young. Um, fashion was my passion for sure. Um, I went to fashion school first uh, and got a minor in product development 
and then marketing before getting a bachelor's of science in business management later on in life. So the first part of my career was really um, between uh, merchandising and running high-end stores like BCBG Max Azria and Prada, like couture stores, and then becoming a buyer for Fred Siegel um, to then shifting into the marketing side, which then kind of took a whole different route. And I worked for a company called Intervisual Communications. Um, and there I learned a lot about just products in general, products industry and um, how you market those products um, internationally. And I was in my 20s, um, just eager, said I knew how to do things I didn't know how to do to get a job, <laughs> um, which, <laughs> which gave me um, all the experience I needed. I learned a lot from that job. Um, I got to travel. Um, and so from there, I moved into marketing for a, a health uh, company, United Health Group, um, and became a lead supervisor for the Southern California office. Um, and then I started seeing the account executives sort of driving the nice cars and taking lots of trips. And I'm like, I want to do what they're doing. Um, <laughs> so I see that shiny I object. I that shiny thing. So sales, you know, coming from retail sales, high-end sales, um, and even in what I was doing before, sales was always a part of it. Um, I went and had to get my Series 7. I ended up getting my 6 and 63 later on um, and did sales and marketing in a totally different uh, market. And then um, I was just really, I was an account executive. I, I got married. Um, I was pregnant and I was traveling a lot in sales. And after my first daughter was born, um, I went back to work really quickly because I, I was able to work from home and go into an office and kind of just go to sales meetings and stuff like that. But I was still traveling when she was a baby. And I'll never forget when my mom was home and I missed some of like the first moments of her trying to walk and crawl and, and that, that didn't feel good. So I knew I wanted to be around. I mean, the minute she was born, things totally changed. Um, and I wanted to be there for her, but at the same time, my drive and passion to be successful and whatever I was doing, um, was still there. And for women, it's a little bit harder, right? Cause you're the one who's called upon when someone's sick to go home. So, um, right. I was definitely amongst all men in that industry. So trying to keep up with whether it was hiding a pregnancy for as long as you possibly could, uh, <laughs> hiding morning sickness. <laughs> no, I'm fine. I just ate a burger at lunch, <laughs> um, <laughs> to, you know, so you could keep going. But eventually um, after the birth of my second daughter, uh, or actually well, I was like pregnant with my second daughter almost and have my second daughter, I, I told my husband, I had always dreamt about having a nonprofit that would serve kids that was sort of a boys and girls club, but of music and arts for kids who didn't have access to it. And so he was like, why don't you just do that? If that's something you want to do? I'm like, well, if I do that, we won't be able to afford to live here. And we won't, I won't be, we won't be able to have like two cars and all that kind of stuff. So he said, well, if that's something that you're passionate about, it doesn't matter to me. I grew up with nine siblings under one small roof. So you should just do what makes you happy. So we downsized our life and moved into an apartment. Um, and I started really slow with Ada outreach to the arts. Um, and that is actually what brought me back into the family business because as a kid growing up, everybody, all my siblings had worked 
some point in time, some longer than others at the music store, except for me. Like I was a little kid and I would sort of, you know, get in there and check off students as they'd come in or ring up a customer just for fun. But I didn't want to when I was old enough to work there. I wanted nothing to do with working in the music store. That's so interesting. I know. I was like, no thanks. Um, even when I, <laughs> hi everybody. Well, also like, you know, my siblings were all musically talented from day one by ear and I had to read music. So that like gene skipped me. <laughs> um, my kids, my daughter has it. One of my daughters definitely uh, can read, can play by ear. Um, so, but anyway, so yeah, so that was the funny part is that's actually what brought me back in because my dad was like, Hey, you know, we had two stores. Uh, the Culver city store was sort of suffering and they were trying to figure out if they should keep it open or not. And I was living closer to that one. And my dad's like, maybe you could come and help and just help us with like some, some marketing stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll help and do some marketing stuff. And I kind of needed to have, I had left that other job. I needed like some regular work. Um, and I was actually able to bring my kids. So my kids literally grew up in a playpen in the music store oh um, and running around and playing with the instruments because I would bring them to work until, you know, they were old enough to go to like daycare for a little bit, but I had no intentions at all of staying. It was just a temporary thing. And then I started realizing the potential in the business, um, realizing this is my passion. I'm wanting to have this nonprofit to give arts and music programming to kids who can't afford it. And I'm seeing students come in and parents not be able to afford an instrument rental, looking at the lesson packages, but saying like, oh, you know, that's nice, but it's not for us. And it dawned on me that all these years we grew up middle, lower class, maybe, uh, maybe someone consider it middle class, but we lived in apartments. We, I was on free and reduced lunch when I was a kid. Um, I never thought that having be, having the ability to take music lessons, private lessons was a luxury because we grew up with our dad owning music, a music store. So I just thought everybody took lessons and everyone knew how to play multiple instruments. So I realized like, wow, that's actually a luxury and it really shouldn't be. It should be something that everybody has access to and not everybody's going to move on in the music program in school if they're not taking these private lessons because in Santa Monica specifically, there's a very robust music program. So um, unless you're taking private lessons, once you get into middle and high school, it's really hard to make it to the other bands and orchestras that really take the kids traveling and and expand um, and, and open their mind and expand them to other opportunities they might never have. So that was what really pushed me to stay. And I started growing the nonprofit alongside while growing my role in the, in the family business, um, which went from marketing to getting school accounts. Um, my dad's 81. He'll be 82 this year. And wow. he was the marketing guy. He started it 50 years ago, but somewhere along the way, you know, you get old and you have a, a filter that's got lots of holes in it. And <laughs> he, <laughs> he had m- maybe rubbed some people the wrong way and we lost, uh, the opportunity to have school accounts a long time ago. So there was some mm-hmm. like grudges and I went in and smoothed that over and got us, back our school account that in the city that we're in and where my kids go to school, I became a part of the Visual and Performing Arts District Advisory Committee and a part of the Ed Foundation who raises his money in part for music and just really immersed myself into the music education piece of it. 
um, advocating at the state level, um, and then eventually with NAM at advocating at, at the fly-in. Um, and so really getting the schools on board and getting those accounts started to show in the business in terms of health. Like we were starting to get healthy again financially because we were definitely on the brink of uh, bankruptcy. And then my uncle was like, listen, I've been wanting to retire for some time now. And I think now is a good opportunity. So um, yeah, then it, my uncle um, wanted to be bought out. So now it's me and my dad, um, 50-50. And that was, that was my journey to get here. If you would have asked me 15 years ago if I would have been a part of the family business or own it, I would have said no. Um, but now if you were to ask me, I can't imagine it any other way. Like this is, this is what I love. Uh, and it's not just the store. It's, it's so much less about the physical store itself. It's, it's everything that we stand for in the community and all the other things that we do that you can't really see that aren't tangible. So it's not like the products we sell. It's, it's the, opportunity we give. It's the experience people have when they come into the store to be able to just try an instrument they've never tried before, take a music lesson or learn how to play something they never thought they could. And I'm talking about people who are in their 90s. We've had lots of elderly people come in since the pandemic who've always wanted to play the accordion, you know, and wow. <laughs> we have accordion teachers. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's so, amazing. I so, love how everyone says that your career trajectory is never a straight line and yours literally oh, no. <laughs> is the definition of like you would never imagined coming back to work or just working for the family business in general you wanted to go and do your own thing but then like you were called back to it and I think that's amazing and most people probably don't even believe like when I really go through all the jobs that I've worked they're like how possible like how old are you well at one point I worked multiple jobs and now even you know I do multiple things so like we my dad started this business booking musicians that's really what it was about and then he was also a drummer so he had like one or two drum students and he was taking headshots for musicians um and he wanted to you know book bands and musicians on movie sets which he did for like for the boys um Nick again 33 and a third the godfather he's He's in those movies too in the background, but he also helped book other musicians. That was really his focus. My uncle came in and actually built the retail end of it and expanded the lesson piece of it to now where we have two locations, 10 studios at each location to do private lessons, large group studios for group lessons. And then the retail space um, is separate where we do rentals, repairs, and sell products. But, you know, the nonprofit piece really sort of encapsulated what we've always stood for as as a local store which is like everybody has a place in there so every kid who walks in whether you can afford an instrument or not you're getting one whether you can afford a lesson or not you're getting one um, and everybody's on the same level because music should not be this thing that's held for a certain group of people because um, I definitely I was definitely not a part of the one percent <laughs> that was taking lessons it was just a part of our everyday. So yeah, that's my, that's that piece of it. It was the passion that always lived inside me. I always wanted to have that nonprofit. So it just sort of like, it was the perfect marriage and my experience in running marketing and, you know, running and working for larger companies has lent its hand for sure. And running a small company, because especially this day and age, and especially in California, even if you have two employees, you got to run it like you're 
running a Bank of America. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you mentioned before we started that you've also pivoted the business to do more podcasting. Yeah. So I think everybody knows this already, like right after the pandemic hit and then literally like we were told Friday that we could open um, on May 29th and then Sunday, May 31st, we were looted really bad. So the pandemic hit and we were all like, who knows how long this is going to last? We were like, see you guys in a few days. Oh, it looks like a couple weeks. Oh my God, I think we're closed for a month. So <laughs> we better get everybody online. So then my friends who are in podcasting, I have a friend who's a comedian his name's Ryan Sickler. He has the Honeydew podcast. And he lost access to his podcast studio because it was like in a studio building that had to be shut. The whole building was shut down for COVID. So oh, wow. he was like, look, this is a perfect opportunity for me. He had been wanting to start his own studio. He's like, could, and I had lost some sub tenants in the back. And he's like, could I rent from you? And I was like, actually, that'd be great because I could use the rent. And he had the ability to just do whatever he wanted in that space. So when he did that, I was watching it and I was like, I was never really into podcasting before. And I realized like, first of all, he's making an amazing living off of it. And he gets like over a million downloads, whatever. Um, I started learning about it and I was like, wow, everybody wants to podcast. We should just flip some of these studios because for COVID people can come in here and be in there on their own and do the podcast. And we're not we don't have to worry about COVID stuff because people would zoom in guests and we would provide the mic and everything and the cameras. So I invested in some HD cameras, some mics. Um, we just, we got some up lights and put together a few podcast rooms and then we have engineers. And so basically you can come in now and rent by the hour. You can literally come in and get a SIM card and just do your own podcast and take your card and leave or you can have an engineer there on site mixing it. We have four camera live switch. We have three camera in one room. We have a green screen. Um, That's so amazing. You, you could come in and do anything. You could do a DIY. You can come in there and talk about cats. You can teach a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. But what's cool is how many people during the pandemic, especially just wanted a place to go to do it. And if, if you didn't want to have to set it up in your kitchen and you wanted to leave, this is like the perfect space to do it. And we actually have a podcast class so you can come and learn how to use all the tech and then we can sell them the equipment to do it at home. That's amazing. What a great idea. Yeah. it's And it's all, you know, it's all married in together. So now we actually have at one of our locations, we have two um, podcast comedians, um, Brian Callen, Sam Tripoli, they do their shows um, out of one of our studios and they flipped one of our studios. It's a large one into a stage. It has like two different stage looks to it. Wow. So they film their shows there and they interview um, other comedians. And then Ryan, which is why in Santa Monica, we've had Tommy Lee and other famous people come by. He interviews celebrities. So those people, when they come, he's very gracious and makes them do a walk through the whole store and they take a picture in front of the store. So if you look at our Instagram and you see the picture of everybody and you're like, why are all these people coming there? I wish I could tell you it's because they're buying guitars or something or ukuleles. No, but they're just for a podcast. They're, so they're there for a podcast. <laughs> but we're like, they do come in and they check out the store and it's great. Um, you know, it's great coverage for us, of course. Um, yeah. But it's really cool that he's like tied us in with it and he plugs us every time. And anyone who listens to the Honeydew gets lessons. Right after he set that up, we got looted that Sunday. And he was like, oh my God, all his equipment and stuff. But we were able to barricade the room up there and he was able to get some of it out. But um, 
after that, I then created, after the looting, I work with at-risk youth and through the police department, there's a diversion program. We were doing music production and DJing for those kids. And then I decided to add podcasting and we created a podcast. But the whole point is these kids are 18 to 23. So this is our older kids. Um, and they, my goal is to have a space where they can learn a trade that they can actually get a job with tomorrow. So there's no point in really showing them music production and DJing. If I mean, it's nice to have that as you know, a recreational thing for fun. That's definitely, there's definitely positive elements to that too. But the idea for these kids that I'm dealing with is they need to learn something they can get a job with. So they learn four camera live switch, post-production, pre-production, how to create the music for the show, how to set up the teleprompter. They're learning about how to get um, sponsors. They've created the entire show. We have someone work with them about logo creation, how to monetize it. And then we have um, Mark Wahlberg came when we were looted and ended up meeting with me for a couple hours and was a huge supporter in what I was doing with the nonprofit. So through him, we we're able to get some kids um, with internships through William Morris Entertainment. So now these kids are learning skills and they're actually being hired through the podcasters to whether it's pre-production, post-production setup, running four camera live switch, they're learning a skill that people get paid to do. So these kids are learning how to be podcast engineers. This is amazing. I'm so speechless right now because it's just like, it's so cool and inspiring. I'm just, oh, wow. thank you. You like, <laughs> you like took, you took something and just like, it like it just grew into this beautiful program that's amazing I feel like I didn't have a choice and that and that when we started that podcast with them it was a lot about like let's the police in our community wanted a voice they were hurt they were they were this national narrative about police was being applied to them and it was hurtful for them and these kids who they were helping in the community didn't feel that way about them and so they wanted a, a platform to give their voice. And I thought, well, here's the perfect opportunity to have a platform. But while we're at it, let's learn some skills that you can apply. So the kids call the podcast, um, which will be coming out. They've recorded like six episodes, um, education through conversation. Um, so they've interviewed the police chief, different police officers, um, city council people. So it's pretty neat because they're talking about real issues and it's all narrated all the questions are come up totally by them. Like nobody's dictating anything. Um, and it's some real conversations for people to have. And it gave a face and humanality to both the police officers and then a perspective of these kids who have been in trouble with police, but actually have a very positive outlook on, you know, police programming like these diversion programs. Because if it wasn't for these programs, they wouldn't be there learning these skills. So we just tried to right. turn something that was negative into something positive because I was like, look, I can sit here and cry about it and be like, why did this happen to me? Or I can just say, all right, this happened. So now what do we do? We just got to shift what's next. So It's a really good mindset to have. It's a hard mindset to have, but sometimes you have to just keep on keeping on. <laughs> I think when you have adversity, which I sometimes think like, oh, like I didn't have lots of things growing up and my mom always wanted me to be around other kids who did have lots of things. And sometimes that was really hard for me, but I actually think it gave me something to reach for. Like, you know what I mean? It, it gave me a good perspective on what goals are. And with the kids that I work with, I feel like I tell them all the time, like what you've endured in your life shouldn't be looked at as like, why did that happen to me? That's so unfair. In fact, it should be looked at like you trained in the gym of life 
way before the race. So I always use this silly analogy that there's an elevator and there's stairs. You've been taking the stairs your whole life, but you've got the muscle and the strength to make it to the top. When the elevator fails, those that have never worked out a day in their life are taking the stairs. They don't know what to do and they get stuck. So I just try to look at every adversity I've ever had or those kids have ever had actually strengthens them. And when you're used to having stuff happen to you, it's like at some point you just give it to your higher being and you go, okay, now we shift and we do this. But if if you don't have adversity in life early on, I think it might be a little bit harder to shift and pivot. So what I'm saying is people should walk into shit and then that way. (laughs) If you step in it enough, you'll know how to take it off your shoe. (laughs) You heard it here first. Welcome it. (laughs) So you are a woman in business, a woman in music, and you're also a woman on city council. So can you talk about the differences you've seen over the years and inspired you and what you've learned that's helped you propel in these various roles? Yeah, the city council thing was like, whoa, I I have to say everything really happened in a short amount of time. I feel like after the pandemic and the looting happened, like all these things, all this glass got broken and I was able to build something new. And so it just birthed and unearthed all these opportunities. And it was a little bit like, oh my God, all of it's happening at once. But how do you say no? Because you just don't know if that's ever going to happen again. And I just keep taking on each thing and saying to myself, well, it's when opportunity meets preparation. And I think I'm prepared to do this. Like I've waited for so long to do these different things. So the city council thing was a bit response into what had just happened and what was happening with my city locally um, and to things happening globally too. I think there was a need for some change in politics for people to see people up there that look and talk like them and live life like they do. Um, I'm a renter. I'm a small business owner. I'm a mom. I walk the streets. uh, I pay the meters. Well, not anymore because now I'm on city council. We have a parking pass, but... uh, (laughs) But you know what I mean? (laughs) I used to. No, but you know, like I'm your average quote unquote person, so to speak, but I have a more than average view on things. So I think that's what inspired me is I was tired of looking up there and not seeing anyone I could relate to. And I'm always telling my kids like, you know, you don't want to be part of the list of complaints. You want to be part of the solution. So people had asked me before sort of you know, you should be on council. And I was like, yeah, right. I don't have time for it. And honestly, someone was talking to me about it. And initially I was like, no way you can't see here in my office, but I have all these sayings by Mel Robbins all over my wall. And as I was talking to my friend, one of them says, start before you're ready. Nothing can substitute experience. Wow. And I read that and I thought, I'm never going to be ready for this. So I'm just going to do it. And I did it. And to be honest with you, when I first started, I thought of Michelle Obama's quote when I went to hear her speak about her book, where it was like, she walked into the room and was like, oh God, I'm I'm not the smartest person in the room for sure. You know, I'm probably the dumbest person in the room. And then not very long after was she like, I might be the smartest person in the room. So (laughs) that experience definitely happened because, you know, being, like I said, a small business owner and sitting up there on city council and looking at things from somebody who's a small business owner, who's actually running payroll, who's actually trying to make ends meet as a resident. I have a different perspective on things. And it's so far, it's been a wild ride. It's been amazing. I've learned so much. It's like going for your doctorate in school, like information. I'm becoming a master at stuff I never thought I wanted to know about, like zoning codes and all this stuff. But 
Um, wow. <laughs> but so that, that definitely also just knowing that I'm giving other young women the opportunity to see somebody up there um, and just young people in general, because for the most part, let's be honest. I mean, our city council members were decades beyond most of us up there. And it was, it's really a job that's held for people who have the, t- the luxury of time and or money. Cause you get paid nothing to be up there. It's like $16,000 a year. And you have to raise a lot of money when you're running to be up there. And you have to have a lot of time. It's at least 30 hours a week. So if you're already working, why would you do it? So it's a crazy undertaking, but doing it has taught me so much. Um, I've made a lot of connections and, and I feel like I'm in a position now to actually make a lot of change. And we're already doing that so far. We have a, a homelessness crisis everywhere. Um, but especially in Santa Monica, we're experiencing it a lot, um, crime, and honestly, support for small businesses dying. So I'm happy to be in a position to be able to like lend a voice and lend some solutions and actually get teams together and, and be a part of what's working. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now that has me looking at, then you do that and then you start looking at bigger and bigger and bigger things. So that's been exciting for sure. Um, as far as doing all of these things uh, and managing it, it's not easy, but I constantly have to remind myself that when I'm to compartmentalize, so because none of those things are like from nine to five. So my running a business is nonstop. You don't go home and like punch out and then not think about it. Um, I also book music for um, Soho houses. Uh, so that's something else that I do. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> Yeah. I swear you have like a purse. I feel like you have like a Mary Poppins purse and you just like pick out like all these I told you. things that so, you do. This is amazing. Oh my gosh. So this kind of ties into, I mean, well, it always had. So we've always like booked bands and music for the store. And that's how my dad started, remember? And yeah. so during the pandemic, we like didn't really do any of that. And then they started asking me like, hey, can you find us a guitar player? Or how about a trio? Or can you find a DJ? And then they were like, do you just want to be our DJ booker? And I was like, sure. So I've been doing that for them. But it ties into the store because like when they need gear and stuff like that, we sell them the gear. And then I book the DJs and help activate events. It's all music related um, or if they need live music. And I still do that for other people too, like companies call us and want live musicians. We do stuff for like the parties outside of Coachella, things like that. So those things are happening all the time. So I'm always like on the phone and on my computer. And then I've got city council, which is crazy. And I sit on a couple boards for other nonprofits for sure. And district advisory committee for arts and in Culver City. And I'm also, you know, now on the NAM board. So it's just a matter of like compartmentalizing. And one thing I'm really trying to be better about is when I'm with my kids, even if I'm driving one to soccer, or we're going to the grocery store is just trying not to take phone calls and being present in those little snippets. Right. Because those are like the sweet moments that you miss when they're gone. And so even if it's just eight minutes in the car, it's like to be present is better than, you know, trying to wait for some weekend getaway where you're like, now I'm going to be present with my family. It's like just finding those little moments because sometimes we don't get those weekend getaways. So. Right. Exactly. What advice do you have for someone who's trying to balance everything who also might wear a lot of hats and is trying to find that work-life balance? Cause it's hard to, I don't want to say master, but yeah, it's hard to master if you're 
It is. And I'm still, I'm no master. So it's easy to like say what you should be doing. Right, totally. <laughs> um, and I still work, I, I work with someone and I join, like I have uh, working groups of other like CEOs and stuff like that, that we all share ideas. And it's always about maximizing those little moments and compartmentalizing your time is the best advice I've ever received, which is you have to be really structured and organized with your time. Um, and I'm not because I'm constantly thinking of ideas. I talk into my phone. I wake up in the middle of the night and I think of ideas and things I want to do. It's crazy. <laughs> so oh my God. I'm like a squirrel. So, uh, you know, you, <laughs> you'll be talking to me and then I'm like, oh, over there. So I have to try to compartmentalize my time. So I have to say like, okay, from this time to this time, I'm going to check emails. One thing I've put into practice that I shared with my group from SWIM, um, one, which it was SWIM when I did it, um, yes. is check, read an email only once, meaning like you open the email, you read it and you complete whatever task is in there. Obviously, if you can do it. Um, so, cause a lot of times we go through our emails, I don't know about you, but you read it and then you go, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. And then you read the next one and the next one and the next one. And then now you've got like five things floating around in your head that you have to do. Uh, but I know. Then the phone rings and then you never really get through any of it. So it's compartmentalizing your time and then being okay with whatever you get done with that day. Cause unless you're trying to cure cancer or, you know, transplanting hearts for babies, like no one's ever died from not getting their ukulele or their violin. So, you know, everybody will survive. <laughs> I know I've always tried with my schedule, like I sit down and I'm like, okay, these are the things that I need to get done today. These are the things that I need to get done this week, Chip but away. I don't have to do today. Yeah. <laughs> And then every time you think that the list is getting shorter, it's just getting longer. <laughs> yes, I know. There's a Tony Robbins thing about making lists, but I, you know, I don't know. I have to do the, in the morning is like, if I can just section off time. Remember when we didn't have like email on our phone? Well, maybe you don't, you're super young, <laughs> but like when you could. No, I remember when we didn't have email Yeah, on your phone. Cause like, if you were away from the office for lunch or whatever, like people expected that you would not you know what I mean like you didn't get that yeah. message it's just now we expect everybody to be looking at even when people are on vacation we're like sorry you're on vacation with your family but if you happen to see this email <laughs> and you're like what am I supposed to do like you just saw me on Instagram so now I better check your email um so you know it's just car carving out time and I have I know people who are really successful I haven't implemented this yet but I keep challenging myself with it which is like they send an automatic message off out at a certain time of the day. So maybe it's six o'clock for them that they will not be returning any messages until the next day. And it gets people used to when your business hours so that they can be with their family. Right. Sometimes I've seen people say like, if I'm responding, like I work very different hours or something like, yes. please respond at your, respond at your earliest convenience or like, like right. You don't have to do it when you need to. Like, it's no rush or whatever. Yeah, because I send emails at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Those are my witching hours. Like, everyone's in bed. I've got Netflix right. on in the background, and I'm doing emails, and I'm catching up on things. And I, I'm i always embarrassed that people are probably like, oh, my God, is she sending me an email at, like, 2.30 in the morning? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, well, that's just because. Like, this works for me. This works like, for I have me. To, this is how I manage. That's how you manage everything. So. Yeah. And I, I think it's important also to. I've tried really hard to make sure that if I'm on PTO or whatever, that I I'm off. Yes. Like I need 
to clear my head. Because if I'm thinking about things that I don't really need to be thinking about, then I just start spiraling and then I get burnt out really easily and it's not healthy. No, that's the self-care thing is so big. And, you know, as a mom too, it's, it's hard because you have to be there for your family. So you're go, go, go. And then if one of your kids gets sick, like you got to stop what you're doing and be there for them. And that's, that's something that just doesn't go away. I think just being a mom, it's just harder when you're a business owner and you've got all these other hats you're wearing, you got to stop all these wheels in order to take care of your family. So it's like finding a healthy balance and finding your team. I just started building a team. Um, and that was really hard for me to like accept. I don't consider myself a control freak. My husband might disagree with me, <laughs> but I mean, I definitely like to do things myself, but I'm also a leader in the type of way where I'm like, Hey, this is the general idea of where I'd like to go. You guys figure out how you want to get there right. and we'll figure it out together. But building a team, like I've had to get someone to assist me a few hours a week just with checking and sorting emails because I get so many emails a day and I have two different phones and two different accounts between city council and here. And then I had to really splurge and hire a new manager for both my stores who can really be the day in and day out. Because I'm literally like delivering trumpets to schools and picking up repairs. <laughs> And then, like, going to a city meeting with the mayor and then, like... Oh, my gosh. Wait, I, have a, I have a very random question because yeah. I've been thinking about this. Are you a Virgo? No, I'm a Cancer. Really? Yeah. Why? Are you a Virgo? I'm a Virgo. I was like, <laughs> she's speaking my language. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Because I, like, I, I can't... I have a really hard time of letting go of control. Yeah. It get, it's hard to watch how people do things differently. And then I just remember that these are like people who clearly like wake up every day and manage to make it home every day. So like they can, <laughs> they can figure it out. And and that's been, and that in, in terms of my business, like that definitely empowers the employees and it makes them really feel a part of the company, which is right, always what I strive Yeah. Yeah, and they do, and and that's what I strive for. Because if it's not for them, then I wouldn't, we wouldn't have a store. So, so that's been a big part is like really building your team. And I think whatever that is for whatever part, even if you're someone who's like, well, I'm not going to hire an assistant or whatever, or I'm not an owner of a company, but it might mean having your best friend down the street help you with your kids once a week, or having your neighbor help you with something. I don't know. It's just finding your people. If it's family, friends who can like pick up the slack. I have a really, really amazing tribe of friends that I get emotional just thinking about them. They're like phenomenal. I mean, anything happens at a drop of a hat. I've got people delivering groceries, food, picking up kids. I mean, when we got looted the entire neighborhood, we had to stop it six weeks. We got six weeks straight every day. It was organized into a spreadsheet of food delivery. I mean, the fact that we didn't gain 300 pounds, I don't know how that was possible, but it was amazing. People I didn't even know were delivering food to us. They were delivering food to my staff. They just wanted to wow. take that simple thing off our hands of not having to think about making food. Um, it just shows the impact that you have on the community. Like when you go through things that are traumatic or just really hard and you see your community of people like coming to help you it just like really shows the impact that you've had on everyone 
And my husband always says, he's like, when that was happening, and he was like, oh my God, all these people, like, this is crazy. But he was like, you, he used to get on me all the time because he's like, you have to go to everybody's everything. You're always showing up to everybody's thing. You answer the phone for everyone. You're always helping everyone. And then when that's happened, he was like, I get it. Like, I'm like, well, that's not why I do it. But it was heartwarming for me to see like, oh my gosh, all these people. There was people who wrote cards and letters like, I don't know if you remember me, but eight years ago, my kid couldn't afford lessons and and you really helped me and I just wanted to drop these muffins off or whatever for Ugh. you. So like my heart. stuff like that was is what makes it all worth the pennies that we make in this industry. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in it for the money, people. <laughs> Newsflash. No. We're but, here to make people's lives better. Yes, exactly. Spread the joy of music. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about the industry. You're on the NAMP board. Let's talk about the industry in general. Where do you see it going or, and what do you hope to see in the future? I hope to see with this, you know, during the pandemic, everyone had a lot of time on their hands. I think we had the highest uh, guitar, (laughs) keyboard, ukulele sales ever. Um, And people were finally trying something, trying to play an instrument that they'd been thinking about forever and, and and never had done. And I think now that we're back in person and Coachella and South by Southwest just happened and all these different concerts and events are back on, people are craving and getting back into being together and the vibe and the energy that live music brings. I mean, there's nothing like seeing a concert or being at a live show. I mean, we, we tried to emulate it, you know, virtually, uh, over the last no, two years. it's not the same. It's just not the same. And I hope there's like a resurgence that relates to the brick and mortar experience because not just because I own a store, but because I think that's the missing link for us when kids come in to get their instrument. And in our school district in Santa Monica, music is mandatory TK through five through fifth grade. So fourth and fifth grade, everybody is in band and orchestra um, by the time they're in fourth and fifth. But some kids aren't excited about it. They're like pissed that (laughs) they got their second choice and it's the clarinet or whatever. Um, But when they come into the music shop and they see that there's guitars on the wall and there's, you know, saxophones and there's other things and we let them touch and play with everything. And we talk about how you know, if you stick with the clarinet long enough, the natural progression is the saxophone. And like, you want to play that and see what that sounds like. It's a whole different experience and it gets them excited in a whole different way. And I hope that our products industry goes back to that. I hope that we can really motivate people to go into stores, talk to people, touch and feel things. The small music shops, um, the mom and pops like us, you go in there and it's not just like, a department, you know, let me go to the whatever department and someone who's just punching into work sells you an item. These are musicians. These are people who love coming to work. These are people who grew up in the community, who went to the same schools that these kids went to. It's a whole experience for them. One of our sales guys runs the kids rock band. Like if you're going to go in and buy a pack of strings, like he's also going to have you audition <laughs> for the rock band. So <laughs> <laughs> I love. That. I just think that experience is missing from the e-commerce element. And I know um, when it comes to people's bottom line, they're looking at like, you know, how many units they move and how lucrative it is. Um, but I think the people who are really touching the young music makers are the brick and mortars. Like we're out there 
moving. And I hope manufacturers see this because I'll say like, when we go to the NAMM show and we see new products, we're excited. We're excited to try them out. We're excited to try them in our store and we're excited to sell them to the end user. And we take the time to learn about the product and actually sell that product for the manufacturer as if we're one of their employees. We want the sale in the end too, and we want it to be successful. So we want to know everything about the product. I don't think you get that when you're selling it through the internet. So I just hope that our industry, I hope everybody kind of takes a step back and realizes like, look, we had this whole faceless, touchless experience for two years, and it really did a number on attrition for kids in the music education piece. A lot of schools, the numbers dipped. And as much as people might not see the connection, and I'm not just saying this because I own a, a retail store, but your neighborhood, local music shop, that experience and going in there is like, if you ask anybody who's a musician, someone's got a story about a music shop that they walked into. That physical experience is, you just, there's nothing beats that. So I hope our industry goes back to supporting the brick and mortar, supporting the mom and pops and really getting into this more team effort of building future musicians as opposed to just an e-commerce business that sort of wipes out those of us in the middle that are like making those human connections. Very well said. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) There is nothing like a kid's first time picking their instrument in a music Yeah, we're like the, we always call the piano the gateway instrument. (laughs) They always come in. Yeah, mine. mine too. <laughs> they sit down on the piano and, you know, everybody in our store, we love it because parents will come in there sometimes and their kids will run and start banging on something and they'll be like, shh, don't do that. You know, yelling at them. We're like, oh no, this isn't a library. Like they can do that. And then, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> do you want to go in the drum room and like really bang it out? And that's fun for us. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. And it's, it's sad because, you know, it was so hard to do group music instruction. These teachers did an amazing job at all these different schools all across the nation trying to teach music on basically a Zoom. Um, And oh my God, the production of putting those orchestrated parents were like, can we do more of those concerts? They were like, oh my God, it's so hard to sync everybody. Um, But it was phenomenal to see. And I'm glad a lot of kids did stick it through, but a lot of kids lost interest. And something I've been talking about is also recognizing, and I hope our industry starts to really see this too, is kids are learning music, in my opinion, backwards, so to speak. They're listening to it. They're they're getting into it from a sort of music production DJ element where they want to remix it. They want to take it apart. They want to you know, produce it. But then once they're hitting those pads and they're, you're like, so what instrument is that that you're making right there? Let's figure out what that is. Oh, is that is that a saxophone? So, oh, no, that's a trumpet. Hey, let's look at an actual trumpet and see if you can actually record that loop yourself. Let me show you what a trumpet is. Okay, let's get the mouthpiece. And then they're maybe interested in picking up the physical instrument. But I think if we don't sort of continue to grow with with the trend and look at what music education is in the classroom. So here in Santa Monica, um, DJ Hoppe rents space out with me and um, I consider him a partner. We work together in the music education space in terms of, he has his own um, curriculum that he does um, called the DJ Coach. And we've combined efforts and um, I'm helping push him in 
in the music education space in Santa Monica, Malibu, and already he's in the the one of the schools doing DJing. It's STEM or STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, math, beats per minute, all that. Um, and kids are, to me, I'm I'm thinking this should be an elementary school too, because maybe not every kid wants to pick up a clarinet or a trumpet or a violin, but I bet you every single kid, not one kid doesn't like music. So there's a place for everyone, whether it be music production or it's, you know, DJing. Um, I think we have to, I think we have to support that as well and, and consider that music education as well, because it is, and that's kids are making albums on Fruity Loops on their phones. We got to keep up with it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, to, And I would love to end with something fun because it allows our audience to get to know you in a deeper way. So when you're not working and doing all (laughs) of the things that you Hmm. do, what do you like to do in your free time? Um, Well, I do love exercising. Um, And I live by the beach. And my favorite thing is to run by the beach with my AirPods in Mm -hmm. and listen to music. Um, So I love being outdoors and and being by the beach for sure. Um, anything I can do by the beach, even if it's just laying by the beach and watching my kids surf. So definitely love that. Um, I haven't been out dancing in a long time, but that definitely is a favorite thing of mine to do. I just need someone to take me out. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> if anyone wants to take me dancing, dancing. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> what do you listen to when you run? Oh my gosh. Such a mix. Um, I've been listening to Tame Impala, uh, lately a lot um i have such a wide variety of music that if i played my shuffle right now like if i just look at my playlist um between hip-hop um a lot of 80s um classic rock i mean it's such a mix of music i love it well lana thank you so much for everything you do in the industry everything you do for your community you are an inspiration to all and Um, I'm just thrilled that you were able to join us on the podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you. And this is awesome that you put this together. I think this is so cool that you've put this platform together. And I was just happy to be a small part of it. So thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to this episode of Revoicing the Future. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major streaming platforms or visit our website. Be sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date on all things Women of NAM. This episode was co-produced and edited by Natalie Morrison, Stephanie Labond, and Julia Olson. Together, we can help shape the future of our industry one interval at a time. See you next time.